Why is there intrinsic value in Bitcoin? When do they have to have a Bitcoin strategy? The digital currency Bitcoin is having a boom. If you've been watching the news at all, it's been hard to avoid the hype around Bitcoin. Fortune hunters are going absolutely bananas for Bitcoin. In case you're not aware, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, a digital form of decentralized currency that's been driving excitement in the tech industry since it launched in 2009. Bitcoin started 2017 valued at less than 1,000 US dollars, and by September, one Bitcoin was now approaching $4,000. And then something happened. Today, the value of just one Bitcoin reached $10,000. The price of Bitcoin skyrocketed. The dizzying ascent continued today for the first time ever the digital currency jumped past $18,000. And on December 17, it hit 20,000 US dollars. Everyone was talking about Bitcoin. 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 And it wasn't just people in tech circles. Guys, I have Bitcoin! The price rises led to a lot of media interest and many new investors who were trying to strike it rich. That left many seasoned investors asking the very real question. And you have to look at that and say to yourself, well, that, that, that looks by every measure like a bubble that is about to burst. Today we're discussing what else but Bitcoin, which has blown past the $10,000 price point. And when is this thing going to crash? So let me ask you, maybe Bitcoin is real, but is it a bubble? And then what many predicted. Bitcoin is down more than 60% since December. It fell below $8,000 for the third time in four days. Other major virtual currencies got battered too. In just 24 hours, more than $60 billion was wiped off the value of the entire cryptocurrency market. But despite the ups and downs, the price of Bitcoin now is still 10 times higher than it was this time last year. So is Bitcoin all hype or is everyone really striking digital gold? Welcome to Moonshot, the show exploring the world's biggest ideas and the people making them happen. I'm Christopher Lawson. And I'm Andrew Moon. There's been enormous hype around the rise of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, so we wanted to explore this world to find out how far away a true universal digital currency is. Yes, people all across the world are pouring their hard-earned money into cryptocurrencies with the hope of one day striking it rich. But with all this hype comes risk. So is it time to place your bets or go back to shoving money under your mattress? So I think it was the year 2011, I was living in New York City and I was fresh out of college. I had actually heard about it on Reddit or from a friend and then on Reddit and I purchased $600 worth of Bitcoin because I was a total like young libertarian into the Ayn Rand philosophy and 
the Bitcoin decentralized, no fiat currency kind of philosophy really appealed to me at that time. So I wanted to buy in and I bought $600 worth of Bitcoin. But being in New York City as a broke post-college student, I had to sell it a week or two later and I sold it for $550. Today, that Bitcoin would be worth upwards of 16 million. So <laughs> it's kind of, um, kind of bittersweet to look back on it. That's when I first got involved though. This is John Omar. John is a cryptocurrency day trader who makes his living by buying and selling everything from Bitcoin to Litecoin, Dash, Ripple, Ethereum, and Monero. Now, quick explainer here. Some of those smaller cryptocurrencies you might not have heard of are sometimes referred to as altcoins. And there's a lot of these alternatives. CoinMarketCap puts the number right now at just over 1,500. Compare that to the 180 non-digital currencies in use around the world as recognized by the United Nations. Now back to John. After a failed first attempt at Bitcoin investing, it took a while before he started to look more seriously at cryptocurrency trading. It took about five and a half years for me to get back in and buy cryptocurrency again. In the meantime, I started a tech company where we were teaching people how to code. So I was really involved with that and only looking at cryptocurrency through the news and the price swings of Bitcoin. For a few years, Bitcoin was pretty stable at a certain price, I think around $600. So I wasn't really interested in buying more of it. I thought I had missed out on it. But after we decided to move on from my company, I was looking for a new way to make money. The thought of going into an office was just was just terrible for me. So I was I was panicking and trying to find a way to earn a living that didn't have me going into an office and a way that I could earn as much money as my own my own skill allowed me to earn. At that point, I got back into trading cryptocurrency because I remembered that I bought it and I missed out. I thought I missed out on this huge tide. I was seeing people were trading it for other cryptocurrencies. They were buying Bitcoin, trading Bitcoin for Ethereum, trading Bitcoin for Ripple and all these different cryptocurrencies and then selling the the profit that they make for for US dollars. So I was really interested in trying that. I set a one month limit for myself to get into it. If I could pay my rent at the end of that month with the money I earned from cryptocurrency trading, I would keep doing it. And fortunately, in that first month, I earned enough money to pay my rent. I was living in Germany at the time. John now makes a living from trading cryptocurrencies, and he runs an online course that teaches other people how to day trade in the same way that someone might trade on the share market. I'm a day trader. So what that means is that I hold a position for a single day. I might buy Ethereum at $1,000 and sell it an hour later for $1,020. And that's how I earn profit, making several trades like that every single day. What I'm looking for when I make that kind of trade are certain patterns and indicators that are that are proven in the stock trading world and the forex world and now the cryptocurrency world 
to to show the kinds of potential returns that I'm looking for, which is about 1% profit per day. I'm not really interested in the movement of price like from $1,000 Ethereum to $2,000 Ethereum. Sure, that's great, but I intend on getting out of the market sooner than that happens because that's the kind of jump that's really hard to predict. If you look at more micro timelines, one hour, four hours, the price movement becomes a lot clearer to predict. And I think that that's a safe way that matches my personality and my personal goals, my financial goals to earn money in cryptocurrency. On the other hand, there are people who are swing trading and they they buy an altcoin like Dash and they hold it for a few weeks and hope for the price to dramatically rise. Now, for anyone who follows cryptocurrencies, you will already know that the price of most cryptocurrencies can be incredibly volatile and picking the right cryptocurrency to trade when there's so much potential for price fluctuations can be a challenge, one which John says took him a while to figure out. I just got addicted to it. I, I wasn't a good trader in the beginning, but after three, four months, I developed a rhythm and I got some strategies. I read every book out there on stock trading, Forex trading, which is financial market trading. And I started applying those ideas to cryptocurrency trading. So things started clicking and I was earning more money than I could at a regular job. And I was living wherever I wanted, traveling around the world with my wife. So it was something that was really great for me, and I'm still doing it a year and a half later. But while John might be making a living off Bitcoin, not everyone has been so lucky. One quick trip to Reddit will reveal many stories from people who have tried and failed to strike it rich through cryptocurrency investing. And you know what? I tried it too. And of course, I failed. See, towards the end of last year, it felt like everyone here in San Francisco was buying in. My friends, many of my colleagues, every lunch conversation, every trip home on the train. So of course, I had FOMO. And here's where I probably should have taken John's advice and sat down, researched and been patient. But of course, that's no fun. Because this was hype time, it was actually trickier than I expected to invest. I wanted to invest in a couple of altcoins, which basically requires you to first transfer money to a major exchange into a digital wallet. From there, you can use a smaller exchange that supports these younger cryptocurrencies. And here, my friends, is where the plan fell apart. Turns out it took nine days for my big bet of $200 to transfer from US dollars into this case, Ethereum, before I even transferred it into a smaller currency. In that time, Ethereum peaked at around $1,300 per coin in USD. And then, well, it dropped. Right now, it's sitting around $850. So my $200 is now worth $126. The lesson? Start small, start early, and don't get caught up in the hype. It probably means you're a little bit late to the party. But before we dive any deeper into making money from cryptocurrencies, it's important to know more about what cryptocurrencies actually are. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency and it launched in 2009. 
Its creator, Satoshi Nakamoto, is an unknown individual or team who published a white paper outlining an idea for a decentralized payment system that allowed people to send currency to each other without the need for a bank or third party. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies rely on a peer-to-peer -peer network of computers to process transactions. The computers which process these transactions are called miners, and they get rewarded with cryptocurrency every time they help process a block of transactions, which is called mining. Those blocks get written to a public ledger and linked to the previous block, meaning they can't be overwritten, creating a blockchain. One of the benefits of this system is that it prevents people from spending the same money twice. Like regular currencies, cryptocurrencies have a limited supply, established at the creation of the currency. In the case of Bitcoin, that ceiling is 21 million. There are currently almost 17 million Bitcoin in circulation, and the difficulty of mining new coins gets harder and harder all the time, meaning the full supply of Bitcoin won't be released for a very long time yet. But every cryptocurrency is different. Some have a lot more coins and are easier to mine than others. In fact, Bitcoin is so difficult to mine that to make any money through mining, you need to have an ASIC miner. ASIC stands for Application Specific Integrated Circuit, meaning these mining computers are specifically designed for processing Bitcoin transactions and nothing else. They're also incredibly expensive and very hard to get hold of. But that doesn't mean the everyday person can't make money from mining to earn cryptocurrency. In fact, many people have set up their own mining rigs using a barebones computer and several graphics cards. Turns out, the piece of kit that powers your computer screen is also very capable of processing the hashing calculations required for cryptocurrency networks. The key thing is making sure the overall cost of building your mining rig is covered by the profits you make from mining. Beyond that, you'll also need to watch your power bill. So what's actually involved in setting up a mining rig? And more importantly, will building one result in oodles of free money going into my Bitcoin wallet? So I went to talk with someone who knows a little bit about this topic. My name is Anthony Aegis and I am the editor of thesizzle.com.au. It's a newsletter for tech news for Australians. And that's also do some freelance writing for PC and Tech Authority. Anthony actually set up his own mining rig back in 2013. At the time, Bitcoin was gaining serious traction and many people were speculating that it was in a bubble. And then it crashed. Sound familiar? When did you first hear about Bitcoin? Probably back in 2012, 2011. I saw people getting rich off it and I'm like, I want a piece of that action. Like People were like doing stuff with computers, they're making lots of money. I don't know about computers. I want money. I should look into this. What was that process like when you started looking into looking into Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies? What year was this, and and how much information was around about about these things? Even back then, Bitcoin you couldn't really you couldn't really mine with a domestic like a graphics card and a PC. Even back then, you you had to have those weird custom PC devices, those custom made chips, and so that kind of wrote out Bitcoin as a way to make money because it was too hard to, to mine. Um, and then I realized there are other coins around where you can use normal computers and the software looked hard to use, but I'm lucky that I know enough about computers that it wasn't foreign to me. It was like, oh, it's just a few command line stuff and I've managed a fleet of computers bigger than this before, like thousands of, of uh, PC. So it's like, this is just a small version of that. And I just turn them on, let them run, and they make me money. And at the time, it was really hard to get information because it wasn't user-friendly. It probably still isn't user-friendly. There's a lot of people who don't want to share the information because 
that's the advantage. The more people that do that mine cryptocurrency, the less money there is for you because the difficulty of it goes up. So it was all kind of badly written forum posts. People probably, I think, on purpose mis misleading other people, <laughs> giving out wrong information here and there, and a lot of trial and error. Um, a lot of people, because this information is not shared very very freely, you just had to kind of go for it and learn from your mistakes. And if you knew enough about computers, they weren't hard mistakes to to learn from. They're just expensive mistakes to learn from. And because the longer you leave, like if you spend a week trying stuff, that's a week you weren't earning money. So, but back then it was. Very wild west, but that hasn't changed much now, and that was more than five five years ago. How big was the mining rig that you set up? It was probably it took up the size of like a small bedroom. So I had about ooh, I think it was about fifteen uh, rigs, and each one had two graphics cards in each one. I was hoping to then add more, but that's that's kind of the physical size of it was maybe like three by three meter room. Yeah, very hot, very noisy room. What are some of the challenges with setting up a, a mining rig like that? The biggest one is getting power from somewhere. Like in, a, in a normal home, like a power socket is a 10-amp socket. And, you know, if you've got three or four graphics cards in a one computer, that can quickly blow the fuse on your uh, circuit in, in your home. So you need to get more power if you want more than you know, a handful of uh, machines. Then there's managing the heat that these things put out. In winter, it's great because you get a... a you know, you're getting paid to heat your, your room or your, your house. But in summer, if it gets too hot, the machines turn off. So, um, and then you'll, you'll damage the equipment. So then you've wasted your investment in the equipment in the first place. And now in particular, you know, in 2018, getting the graphics cards themselves is, is a challenge. There's a shortage on them. People realize you can make money do, doing this. And you know, there's only so many that can be ma manufactured. As soon as they come on the market to buy, they're just all gone to you know, people buying bulk lots of them, you know, 20, 30, 50 cards at once, more even. Um, so that's a, 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 a challenge as well. How much did you spend on setting setting up this rig? I spent in total, it was about uh, 16000 on the actual gear. So on the, the shelving, the motherboards, the RAM, the uh, graphics cards, all that stuff. Um, about five and a half thousand on power, so just for to turn them on, the power that was at like twenty eighteen cents a kilowatt hour kind of rate. So you can see that's that's a big chunk of the costs, and it was a bit of um credit card uh, fees and interest stuff like that. So all up was about twenty twenty and a half thousand dollars. You put all this on your credit card. That's right, because I thought it's gonna if I, if I don't get in now, I'm I'm not gonna make enough money. So I thought why wait? Put it on put it on the card now and then. Hopefully, the price of this stuff grows so so quickly. It'll you know, the, the the interest is a small a small portion of it. How successful was your mining rig? I didn't lose money, but I didn't make a lot of money because a few months after I I did this, the price of um uh, Litecoin, which is the currency that I decided to, to to mine, it it crashed, and I got nervous, sold all my equipment, held onto the coins that that I had. And then waited for the price of those coins to go up, and they went up a bit. And as soon as there was enough of a, um, you know, I calculated that I could make a small profit, I just sold them. And so at the end of the day, it was a good learning experience. But in terms of money, it was just like a, a small profit. How many Litecoin did you end up making from your mining rig? Yeah, I think I had about nine hundred Litecoin at the time, and at the time that was worth maybe about eight and a half thousand dollars. But then I waited a little while when the prices went up, so that was all right. But if I held on even longer, 
I don't think you'd be talking to me now. I think I'd be living in some Pacific Island with a, you know, my own personal island because that's how much it's gone up to now. So there's a bit of regret there. But that's again with hindsight, holding on for five years. You know, I've had held, held on for that long, but you know, ultimately the price skyrocketed up. And just for those of you wondering, had Anthony held on to his cryptocurrency at the current rates, it would be worth around one hundred and ninety thousand US dollars. And we'll continue our deep dive into cryptocurrencies right after this break. Now, before the break, we were looking at how cryptocurrencies can be mined and also learned that sometimes holding onto a coin can be the best strategy if your end goal is to make a significant return. But holding onto your cryptocurrency defeats the whole purpose of even having a currency. The idea of having a universally accepted digital currency does not work if the vast majority of people aren't actually spending their coins to make everyday purchases. Sure, we've seen people buy everything from houses to pizza with cryptocurrencies, but not many places actually accept them. And it's hard to keep track of what you should be paying because the price is constantly changing, which has led many people to ponder the question of whether cryptocurrencies are best used as money like US dollars or as a store of value like gold. Well, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? This is Jordan Michaelides. Jordan is the fund executive at CoinJar, an Australian cryptocurrency exchange that helps people convert their regular money into Bitcoin or Ethereum. I think Bitcoin is sort of showing that it's probably not the greatest example for remittances or transfers. It's probably more a store of value or a store of wealth, like a digital gold, which in a way is sort of not what Bitcoin was originally for, but maybe there are others that will step up to the plate. I mean, we've seen Bitcoin Cash, right? Um, there's countless other coins that are claiming to be the fast transfer type coin. So, I mean, it, it really depends on the use case and and which one will really stand out. I, I don't think it matters for Bitcoin. I think people still see that evidently as a store of wealth or a store of value. I think that right now we're in a chaotic period where people don't quite know what to make out of this. This is John Omar again. There are a lot of people coming into this who are 60 years old and they they don't know much about it. All they know is that they might be able to make money off of it. And what we really need is an education of the population that is using cryptocurrencies for it to be accepted as a store of value. Until we get there, we're in for a roller coaster in terms of price. The price fluctuations do make it hard to look at it as a store of value. But I, I think that that we're on the way to that as more and more people buy Bitcoin and sit on it for years on end. We're approaching a time where people are going to start seeing it as a store of value. It won't be easy to use it at a corner store to buy to buy food, but it is turning into something like gold. You can't go into a corner store and buy some food with a bar of gold. It's pretty hard to do that. There's still no wealth being made. I mean, there's still no practical applications of these te technologies. This is Anthony Aegis again. The 
The blockchain in and of itself seems to be getting a few useful uses, but not the game-changing, world-changing things that people who are in the cryptocurrency seem to believe. It seems to me that they're telling themselves that to justify their time and their money and their and to boost it in general for their own gains rather than there being a useful let's say the cryptocurrency does replace money for example which seems to be the most popular theory going around we already have money it works pretty well for, <laughs> for most circumstances sure the government controls the way that that's done but it doesn't look like bitcoin or cryptocurrencies in general are going to replace that centralized way of determining how much it's worth i mean you look at the way Bitcoin prices went up and down, there's a lot of research going into how a few people manipulate that because they have so much of it. And the, there's people who own heaps of Bitcoin and there's people who mine heaps of Bitcoin. Is it really any that that different than the system we have now? Or is at least the government is a bit more accountable than strangers who hide behind false names on a forum. <laughs> you know, that that's, that's a very different setup. And I think ultimately it'll be just people will, will just lose a lot of money. But I don't know how long that, that that will take or when that that will happen, but I can't see any kind of use for the currencies themselves beyond a way to transfer wealth between people. That's not efficient and it's not easier and it's not better. So what's the point of it? And that's still struggling to find that out. Well, we think that Bitcoin is like gold 2.0. One of the best known investments in cryptocurrencies has come from the Winklevoss twins. The market cap right now of Bitcoin is 300 billion. Um, the market cap of gold is 6 trillion. Yes, the same twins that sued Mark Zuckerberg over the creation of Facebook sunk millions into Bitcoin, acquiring around $11 million worth of the currency by April 2013. And when Bitcoin spiked in December last year, they briefly became Bitcoin billionaires. They are now claiming to be the world's first Bitcoin billionaires. And then the price crashed and they became ex-billionaires. But when it comes to investing, the Winklevi only have one strategy, and that's to never sell Bitcoin. In fact, the pair told the New York Times in December that even if the Bitcoin market reached the total value of gold in the world they may still not sell any Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin is exciting because it shows how cheap it can be. Billionaire Bill Gates in 2014 told Bloomberg that there was potential for a Bitcoin-like system. Uh, Bitcoin is is better than currency in that uh, you don't have to ha be physically in the same place. And of course, for large transactions, currency can, can get pretty inconvenient. But in February this year, Gates answered a question in a Reddit AMA saying that cryptocurrencies are super risky. And the main feature they provide is anonymity, which Gates doesn't see as a good thing. Because that anonymity prevents governments from tracking down money launderers, tax evaders and terrorists. He even went so far as to say that cryptocurrencies are used for buying fentanyl and other drugs and that this technology has caused deaths in a fairly direct way. There have also been a number of exchanges that have been hacked, with people losing millions in cryptocurrencies. Mt Gox unexpectedly shut down today, owing hundreds of millions of pounds and prompting the sharp fall in the value of the currency. The most famous was probably Mt Gox, a Japanese exchange which shut down in early 2014 after a hack saw the disappearance of more than $450 million worth of currency. However, earlier this year, another exchange, CoinCheck, was hacked which saw more than 530 million stolen. Uh, this raises the total of, of 
cryptocurrencies that have been stolen from these these exchanges over time to it now a billion dollars. And as Bill Gates mentioned in his AMA, because of the anonymity that cryptocurrencies provide, it's actually very difficult to track down or recover the lost funds. And while some countries have moved to regulate cryptocurrencies, all of this raises some very real questions as to what happens when it all goes wrong. So I think that's the point people don't really talk about. There's, you can externalize the the costs of you know, when everything's going going well. It's fantastic. Everyone's making money. Everyone's happy. You can say goodbye to the government taxes. Who who cares? It's a traditional rich person scenario. I'm rich. I don't need the help of the government anymore. Why is there all this regulation? On the on the the other hand, when someone loses all their money, and do we let them just starve to death? Do we let them? go without a home some people would agree yes we should that's their own mistake that's their own fault why did they invest all, all, all their money in this but really unless you're totally uncompassionate and a, a vengeful person you're going to have to pay well for this person you're going to have to give them somewhere to to live their family um if, if they have a family might be impacted because their kids suddenly go to a, a state school instead of a private school so that cost is on society to educate that child where they weren't before. Let's say someone harms themselves. We've got a, a psychological care to look after them, the, the health care to look after them. There's impacts beyond simply losing the money that our society as, as a group has to look after. And if we ignore those, that's, you know, that's just going to cost us more, more money in the long run and we're doing more harm to our society when if you regulate this and can control cryptocurrency and any any other, it's like the reason we have cigarette control. Like you, can't, you can't sell smokes to, to, to kids because we know that the harm it does. Same with investments. We limit how individual investors can invest their money. You know, if you're a, a risky share or a risky company, you can't advertise your investments to uninformed investors. You have to have a limit to, all right, people who have under $5 million can't invest because... It's only for educated investors. Same with cryptocurrency. There should be some kind of control there to limit the exposure of people who aren't necessarily experts or can't afford to lose because the impact then ends up on us to look after them. Whereas if you're, you know, got $100 million and you lose $5 million of it, well, that's, that's fine. You've got enough cash to look after it. But if you're investing $100,000 and your net worth is only 200000 well, then suddenly you, you, you've got no money to... um. You know, invest and you can't pay for food you can't pay for rent society has to look after you and that's not a bad thing so you should look after them but we have to figure out where that money comes from yeah re- regulation is such a dirty word isn't it in this industry this is jordan michaelides again i mean having come from institutional markets when it comes to regulation we need it i mean at the end of the day governments can't control the networks per se but they can protect their citizens. I think that's really important because if we want this to be, I mean, there are simply people that won't even touch it because they know if they lose their money through fraud or um, an exchange getting hacked, they have no recourse. I think it's really important for the maturity of the industry for regulation. A lot of people talk about self-regulation. I mean, the view from my myself is that the regulator is the government. It's ASIC, it's APRA, it's all the people involved in the finance industry who understand what it takes to protect consumers. So I think regulation will be really important in the long run. It's important 
as we probably saw with the the Senate committees over in the US, they said that it's important that regulation is managed so it doesn't completely stifle the industry. So um, I think a measured approach is wise and important. So we know that cryptocurrencies can be pretty volatile and they're risky. And we know that despite this, people are investing some very serious cash in these currencies. So given all this knowledge, should you actually be investing your savings in this new market? Well, at the end of the day, to say why is it worth investing in, you have to really look at the underpinning value of the service. I mean, looking at the way that people are using Bitcoin, Ethereum and so forth, it's there's clearly value there um, in comparison to the current system that we have. You know, if you're, um, I've seen countless examples, but the one used at the moment is if you're a gentleman or lady, you work in the tech sector, you're sort of up to date with these trends, um, you're working in Silicon Valley or let's just say Melbourne, where we're based now, and you have parents and they live in mainland China, and your options to transfer their money are through the banking system, through remittances like Western Union and so forth, um, who all take a significant cut of the money. Now, you can use Bitcoin and the service fees are significantly less. So the economics are there in terms of using the service. Sure, it might be a little bit more delayed um, as we've found with with people piling on to, to crypto, but at the end of the day, it's still cheaper um, for them. And also there's less means of censorship for them. So though people in those markets, number one, have a lot of value in this sort of product. Um, and obviously China's gone and banned it, but um, there still are over-the-counter markets which, are, which provide services for people to transfer that money from, say, Melbourne back to mainland China. So looking at that alone, that tells me there is significant value in that and therefore there's an opportunity to invest. The question is, where do you invest? So that's the tricky part and I think that's something we're all still working at now and for anyone to sort of say that there's one way over another, whether it's buying actual crypto, whether it's buying a share in a mining rig or building your own mining rig or owning a company that provides services like Coinjar. Um, it's still, uh, the, the jury is still out on that. Coming up in the next episode of Moonshot, we continue looking at digital gold. Whenever anybody says, what do you think about you know, cryptocurrency? Should I put my own money into it? I say, well, go and look at go and look at the, the price of Dogecoin. If, if that doesn't scare you, then sure, <laughs> put, put some money in it. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Moonshot. And if you love what we're doing with this show and you have some spare Bitcoin or Ethereum lying around and you want to invest in independent journalism, you can find our wallet addresses in the show notes. If you want to find out more about the show, head across to our website, moonshot.audio, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Moonshot Pod. Our cover artwork is by Andrew Millist and our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media and it's hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, and also Andrew Moon. Join us again next time as we dive further down the cryptocurrency rabbit hole.